Welcome to the podcast of the Believer's Bible Class, a part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Each week we share the Bible lesson from our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. Doug has studied the biblical scriptures throughout his life and is knowledgeable in both ancient Greek and Hebrew, which makes his explanations of scripture all the more interesting and most certainly all the more accurate. Professionally, Doug is an attorney, although he considers his Bible teaching as his godly profession. Today we begin a new series of Bible teaching entitled, Elijah, a Man of Conviction. Class teacher Doug Brady has prepared this short series as a study related in many ways to our last study of the book of Daniel. And today's lesson is titled, Elijah in the Palace. You'll want to have your Bible open to the first chapter of the book of First Kings. The Believer's Bible Class is part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Our class meets every Sunday morning at 9.15 in Lavorne Hall, located on the lower level of our new worship center building. The class, which is constantly growing in numbers, enjoys the deep study into the scriptures, and Doug is one who can make it all easy to understand. If you're ever in the area of Dallas, we invite you to visit our class. Well, Doug is at the podium ready to begin this new study. Open your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 1. Here now is our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. It should be rather obvious we're starting a new subject, and it's because of the situation of Elijah that we're doing it that models our nation. He lived in a godly nation, and then it became pagan. We lived in a nation that used to be godly and is now pagan. I want to talk for just a second, because we're going to need some background today and some history. And those of you who say, well, I don't like history. Well, I'm sorry, I was a history major. Let's talk about, did you know that every form of government there is, is a dictatorship? Now, to us, dictatorship, that sounds bad. If you have a monarchy, it's a dictatorship. If you have an emperor, it's a dictatorship. Now, a monarchy is supposed to have a way of progression from son to son to son. Emperor or other kinds of dictators, it's whoever's strongest to take over, but it's still one man ruling. Now, you can also have a government where you have just a few people ruling together. It's called an oligarchy, and, but that's still a dictatorship of a few. Now, one of the worst type of governments you can have is a dictatorship of the majority. What's that called? Democracy. Democracy. <laughs> From which the Democrats get their name. Because the majority changes all the time, and the minority is at the whim of the majority. Now, there's another type that you can have. It's called a dictatorship of the laws. What's that called? You don't know? That's what we are. Well, supposed to be. A republic. That's where the law is the top boss. And, you know, can laws be prejudiced? No, you know, they're, they're not prejudiced. Laws supposed to be the same for everybody. Now, there's one other kind of dictatorship that I haven't mentioned yet. And that's a theocracy. In a theocracy, there is one man who's the dictator. When's the next time we're going to see a theocracy? Millennial kingdom. Now, is there anything wrong with a dictatorship that's a theocracy? 
Well, the problem with dictatorship is the dictators are usually end up bad. But if the dictator is always good, then dictatorship is a wonderful form of government. Will there ever be injustice? No. Will there ever be any bad laws or proclamations or presidential orders? No, there won't be. It'll always be good. Now, did you know what the original government of Israel was? A theocracy. That's where it started. As they left Mount Horeb, there was a theocratic type of government designed by God. Now, with a theocracy, you have a human leader who's responsible for getting the information and message from God. God would appoint the judge, and that's what he would call them, and the leader or the judge would follow God's instructions and take them to the people. Now, who was the first judge? Moses. Then came Joshua. Then came, who knows, no one. You know, it's a shame that Moses trained Joshua extensively, and Joshua didn't train anybody. Why would that be? Don't know. But we went from judge to judge. Some of them were good. Some of them were not big good. I loved Gideon. He was one of the judges. Samson was not so good. I think it had to do with someone named Delilah. Why, why, why Delilah? But I don't know. Well, yeah, I do. But the last one was Samuel. And then the people said, we're tired of a theocracy. We want a king just like everybody else. That's what we really want. And Samuel said, I can't believe they're doing this, God. And of course, God said to Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But that's okay. I'm going to answer their prayer. Now, I want you to see something here because this is unusual and this happens from time to time. Did God know that what they were asking him for, they really didn't want? He knew that, but he gave it to them anyway. He answered the prayer that they had made to show them that they didn't know what they were doing. He gave them a king just like everyone else. And who was that? Saul. One of the things to understand is God answered that prayer. He gave him Saul. Then the next king God appointed was the kind of king that he would want. A man after his own heart. His name was David. But we learn an interesting lesson as we go on. David had an example. Did Saul start strong? How did he finish? Weak. Weak. Very bad. Some people could say even buck naked last. But the fact is, he gave this this, this example of this is not the kind of man you want to be. He started consulting witches. The king of Israel consulting demonically empowered witches. But then comes David. David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man who not only started strong, but he finished strong. A man of conviction. Now, if David had really one failure... What do you think his primary failure was? Women. No, I'm not going to say women. Commitment to the priority of the family. Commitment 
to the priority of the family. Who was his primary son? We all know. Solomon. Did Solomon start strong? David, his father, started strong. David, his father, finished strong. But then came Solomon and he started, if you listen to the prayer that he prayed in dedicating the temple. If you listen to what went on when he, God came to him and said, I'm so happy with the choices that you have made. I'm going to give you everything. But did he finish strong? No, what he did was compromise. And in fact, Don, you seem to know these kind of answers. What was it that caused him to compromise? Women. Exactly. Sex. And let's say foreign women, foreign women, they brought their gods with them. And so, you know, because you ought to know because you are someone who's very fortunate to be blessed with a very great wife. Now, every day is mama's day. If you look at it, David was a man of conviction. Solomon, a man of compromise. He compromised. Now, what happens to a man who compromises when he has children. They become rebellious. And that's Rehoboam. There's a progression here that we ought to learn. And as I have tried to live my life, you see, I had a father who was a man of conviction. He started strong and he finished strong. What's his son going to do? Because what the son does also will reflect the father's grandson. And we need to be aware of that. Now, we come to the point where Rehoboam is becoming king. And he's harsher than his father Solomon. And there's only so much that people can take. And if you look in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 15, we're going to read that in just a second. But before we read God's word, let's pray. Father, as we start this series today on Elijah, I pray that you will bless the time we're here together, that you will show us what it is you want us to see. You will help us to understand the kind of men and women who you can really use. Help us to learn the principles that Elijah's life portrays. Help us to see that we, on our own, can be used by you to change a society. Help us, Father, to see how important it is to raise up a generation of culture changers because of the influence Satan and those who are his paganistic followers have brought to our nation. I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. First Kings 12. So the king, that is Rehoboam, did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events from the Lord, that he might establish his word, which the Lord spoke through Ahijah, the Ashilionite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now look after your own house, David. So Israel departed to their tents. But as for the sons of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who had been over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death. 
And King Rehoboam made haste to mount his chariot and flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion from the house of David to this day. Now look, I think I have a map that will show you this divided kingdom. It's interesting, at the bottom here is the tribe of Judah, and up at the top is the area of the tribe of Benjamin. Who was the king before David? Saul. What tribe was he from? Benjamin. But they're staying in the southern kingdom of Judah. All other of the ten tribes are in the northern kingdom of Israel. But when you have a division like this, that causes a problem for the king of the north. Because what right now technically is the religion of Israel? Yahweh. But now there are seven feasts and festivals a year. On and on three of them, if you're able, what are you supposed to do? You go to Jerusalem and worship at the temple. Do you think the king of the north wants his people going all into the south? When they go down there, what's going with them? Money. They're doing sacrifices. They're having to find a place to stay. They're eating down there. All of those things, it's a great boon to the economy. He's got to stop that. Jeroboam can't let that keep going on. So he comes about and realizes the only way I can stop that is to start a new religion or to go back to another religion. And that religion was one that started in the wilderness with the golden calf. And so he reinstituted, let's see, there should be a picture of that when it started. And, you know, how somebody who was the first high priest, he was Moses' brother, and he was left with the people while Moses was up on the mountain. And the people said, you know, Moses hadn't come back for 40 days. He's probably dead. Let's do something else. And the high priest said, okay, bring me all your gold. And he brought the gold to him, and he fashioned this golden calf. Now, about that time, Moses and Joshua came back down. Moses looked at this, what in the world do you think you were doing? Well, the people came to me, his brother said, and they brought me all this gold, and I said, this is terrible. We're not doing this. I took all that gold, and I threw it into the fire. And then out came this golden calf. And he expected that Moses would believe that. But Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he instituted that. And so the kings of the north followed that religion and they had to, you see, it was just a a business decision they had to make. And so they went forward like that. And Israel was separated itself completely from Yahweh. And the worship of Yahweh was not being practiced very much. Now there were some pockets and some people. But there came another king in this line of succession whose name was Ahab. And Ahab, the king of Israel, in branching out and making alliances, came upon a king by the name of Ethbaal. And he was the king of Sidon. But he was also the high priest of a god named Baal. But while visiting with Ethbiel, Ahab met someone else. And her name was Jezebel. This is a rather famous painting of 
Jezebel, done during the Renaissance period. More modern uh, artists would make her look like this, but, but she is appropriately named in that one. And he decided, Ahab decided, I need Jezebel. And so Ethbel gave him as long as he agreed to institute the worship of Baal because she was a high priestess of Baal. And so now Israel became a nation of Baal worshipers. And if you didn't worship Baal, do you know what the consequence was? Death. Kind of reminds you of what goes on with Muslims, right? Would you agree with that, Solomon? He's my resident expert back there. On If you listen to his podcast, you'd hear that. But uh, it's subtitled. He, he speaks to a lot of people in India and Pakistan. Uh, many times he's, he's talking in Udi, right? But if you ever need any help with Islam, just ask Solomon. Anyway, let's read this passage in uh, 1 Kings chapter 16, starting in verse 29. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria for 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of Yahweh more than all who were before him. Now, does that tell you a little something about this guy? More than any of these kings before, more than Omri, his father, more than his grandfather, great-grandfather, even more than uh, Jeroboam. And he came about as, as though it had been a trivial thing to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nemat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worship him. So he erected an altar for Baal. In the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made the Asherah. And thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Now, is that what you would want to be said about you? No. Done more to provoke. In fact, this Baal kind of looked like part man, part bull. Uh, they considered him a uh, god of strength and fertility. He brought the rains, which were absolutely needed in this agrarian society. He brought reproduction of your, of your uh, livestock and even human reproduction. You notice he's holding a child. Now, he does look like someone to me, but it's, uh, I would call Satan. But the fact is, that's the God that they worshipped. And so Baal worship had now taken over the northern kingdom. And if you were found worshiping Yahweh, you'd be put to death. Now, with that, into the picture steps a man named Elijah. Jerry's from a small village called Tishbe. If we were not speaking biblically and we were trying to describe Tishbe, we might say Hicksville. That, that's what it was like, a little town uh, that some people in a larger city might call Hicksville. But this man, Elijah, is like no other man that's ever lived. He has some very unique characteristics about him. You say, well, what about Jesus? Jesus died, didn't he? Thank goodness he did. Elijah never died. Let me show you one of Elijah's positions. If you look in Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1, it says, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up into the mountain by themselves. 
And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, we'll make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And Jesus said, I'm not in the tabernacle building. Actually, it wasn't Jesus who said that. Now the Father is going to speak. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, shut up, Peter. Listen to what my son is trying to say. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up, do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus, him alone. Here is this man who, what, 600 years, 700 years before this event, had lived, gone to heaven, and he came back down to meet with Jesus here on earth. Why in the world would God do that? Well, maybe the same reason he sent Moses to give us a little clue. Clue of what? Remember this time period we studied called the Tribulation? We talked about the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. But there's also two witnesses. And their information about him is recorded in Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 3. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days. That's the last half of the tribulation. Clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anybody wants to harm them, fire will flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anybody wants to harm them, they must, he must be killed in this way. These have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over waters to turn them into blood, to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. Now who did those things? Moses and Elijah. Some other accomplishment. Like I said before, he was one of only two men to ever live who never died. He was one of only a few men to raise somebody from the dead. Elijah could call down the fire of God from heaven. You say, well, well, he only did that once. No, that's not true. He did it multiple times, you're going to see. In fact, you see, it was Elijah and his ability to do that that James and John were thinking about when they were visiting this Samaritan village who was disking Jesus. And they were kicking him out. Said he could, they couldn't stay there. And when his disciples, they became indignant. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Jesus didn't think that James and John needed to have that power because he was afraid of how they would use it, especially in the example they were giving him. But he turned and rebuked them, and he said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And so they went on to another village. And so this is the man we're going to study, this man Elijah. He was entrusted a great deal with God. What makes this man, like David, a man of conviction? Well, I want you to see what's going on now. Because we have this situation here with Ahab sitting on the throne 
and Jezebel there with him. Now, there's a famous preacher. I don't know if some of you ever have heard of R.E. Lee, but he wrote a, a book called Payday Someday about Elijah, and he has an interesting description. He describes Ahab as the toad seated on the throne and coiled by the adder named Jezebel. But let's look at that palace, starting in 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, that means they were on the wrong side of the river, uh, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall never be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, who do these people worship? Baal. What is Baal responsible for? This is a direct confrontation. You know, sometimes we ask the question, how did he make it out of there alive? I think they were so shocked first at what he was saying and then found it extremely humorous. And in fact, as he was walking out, they probably were all laughing. Who does this guy think he is? He doesn't know Baal. If there's anybody who can make it rain, it's Baal. We don't have a worry in the world. But Elijah walks into their throne room without invitation. I want you to see that. Without invitation. He is unsummoned. He's unannounced. But he proclaims to them three truths. Three truths. What is it that he really is saying to them? That's where we want to camp today. What is this man made out of? And you can tell by what he says, because he's saying it in a very dangerous setting. What is he saying? Number one, Yahweh is alive and real. That's the first thing he's saying. Yahweh is alive and real. Number two, that Elijah is Yahweh's servant and dedicated to him. And number three, it won't rain again until he says. And of course, claiming it's not going to rain is a direct attack on Baal. Why was Elijah really able to walk in there and say that to these people, an affront to them? Number one, because he was a man of conviction. Number two, a man of conviction is protected by God. In the same way that Daniel was protected by God, in the same way that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were protected by God. This man is being protected by God. Now, let's look at this passage again. One by one, I want, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives. That's the first, the first message he made, he gave. As the Lord, now wait a second. They would say, wait a second. Baal's now the God of Israel. Elijah would say, no, he's not. He is not. He never will be. The God of Israel is Yahweh. Now, he speaks of the reality of God. He, he says he's alive. He's the God of Israel. And by implication, he's the only God. Our God is the God who is alive, and he's the God of Israel. What in effect is he saying? I want us to be able to focus on this. We're going to talk about it over and over again. The reality of God. In Elijah's life, the reality of God was the foundation stone of how he lived. Is the reality of God, 
the foundation stone of how you live? That's the first question. The second question that I think we need to ask here and we need to come to see is, is this. He says, before whom I stand. Before whom I stand. What does that mean, before whom I stand? It means a little bit more than that, I think. I want you to see this. Luke 1, 18. Zacharias, this is a story when Zacharias is told about the birth of John the Baptist. And an angel comes to speak to him. The angel doesn't tell him at first who he is. He just shows up and he says, I have a message for you. And he gave him the message that you're going to have a son. And Zacharias then responds to the angel, how will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now the angel is going to get a little ticked. Obviously, you don't know who you're talking to, Zacharias. And so he's going to inform him who he's talking to. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. What is he saying? I am the chief servant of the Lord God. I spend all of my time standing in his presence, waiting for him to tell me what he wants me to do. And then I do it. Anyone who's used to a monarchy in that period of time would know exactly what Elijah is saying because they have people there. Many times the king could communicate to his servant, his, his chief servant, without even having to say a word, a look, or a sign. And he knew exactly what he meant to do. Here, that's who Gabriel's saying. And if you go back now to 1 Kings 17.1, that's what Elijah's saying. I'm his servant. I speak for him. Now, what did he say was going to happen? There's not going to be either dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, what's writing on this for Elijah? If it rains tomorrow, yeah. If it rains two weeks from now, a month from now, a year from now, what does it do to his reputation? And what does it do to God's reputation? To make a statement like that. Now, did God specifically come and audibly tell Elijah, this is what you're to say to the king? There's no record of that anywhere, is there, Don? No, there's not. I can tell you, I have searched. I have been through the scriptures over and over and I can't Yeah, but you're Don. So, you know, Malachites are not known for all of their scriptural prowess at all. Yes, I understand. Now... How can he say that then? What gives him the authority to say that? And the answer is God's word. Chapter 11, starting in verse 13. And it shall come about, if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I've been commanding to you, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, that he will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early and the late rain that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil, and he will give grass to your animals to feed, and you will eat and you'll be satisfied. Beware that your hearts are not deceived and you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. 
or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens, so there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its fruit, and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord has given to you. Do you see where Elijah got his authority? Now, to me, that's exciting. Well, why is that? You're not going to go talk to Ahab or have to deal with Jezebel, are you? No, not going to have to. But the same place that Elijah found his authority, I can find mine. Do you see that? Did Elijah base everything that he was doing on what he found in the Word of God? Yes, he did. Now, let's go back and let's look at this before we finish here. And I want you to see some things. I told you that Elijah was a man of conviction. And that is true. What does it mean to be a man or a woman of conviction? Well, what it means is simply to be convinced of something. What does it mean to be convinced? You know, it's absolutely true. You can rely on it. You can trust it. It's unequivocal if you're convinced. What is Elijah convinced of? This is the three things we need to be convinced of. Number one, the reality of God. He is absolutely convinced of the reality of God, that God is real, that He is involved in the affairs of man, that He is in control of this world and everything that happens here. He's convinced of that. Number two, He is convinced that He is God's man. God's man. If He was female, He'd be convinced that He was God's woman, that he belongs to God, God belongs to him, and he stands there in his presence waiting. And when the message comes, then that's the way it goes. Now, what's the third thing he's convinced of? I would put it this way, that God has the power and the resources to enable Elijah to meet whatever challenge God puts before him. He's convinced of that too. If he was not convinced of those three things, he couldn't go in there and say what he's going to say. And he couldn't do the things he's going to do in the future, as you're going to see. At first, it's talk. You know, some people say talk is cheap. Not when you're putting your life on the line, it's not. And he's going to show them. And he's going to put himself over and over and over where they could kill him if God doesn't come through. And I want you to see those things in this study. It's going to be so important for us to see that. Now, Elijah was a prophet. You see, the king turned his back on God. The priests who were there in the northern kingdom, they turned their back on God for the most part. And so God sends prophets. Prophets speak out. They point out the sin in the land. Now, I'm probably going to get myself in trouble with what I'm fixing to say. Thank you. That's what I always want is an Amalekite at my back. But, no, Don and I are good friends. And when he says that, he means it. So, here's the thing. Elijah is living in a land that used to be godly and now is pagan. We are living in a land that used to be godly and now is pagan. Number one, what does God need? He needs people who are people of conviction. 
that believe that he's real, that they belong to him, and he has the power and the resources to enable them to meet whatever challenge he puts before him. But what kind of people does he call out to point out the sin of the land like Elijah's doing here? Prophets. Do we have any prophets in our land? Oh, yes, we have a bunch. We do. Yes, we do. You know, when Dr. Crystal was the pastor here, he recognized this clear principle. And he had, once a year, the school of the prophets that would meet and then train. Because who did he believe the prophets were? The men that God called to be preachers in the land, in his churches. That was the case earlier in our nation's history. The people from the pulpit spoke out and they pointed out sin. How many preachers are doing that today? Maybe I'm wrong, but if I had to put a percentage, what percentage is not doing it? 98%? Yeah, maybe 99 I want you to think about this a second. The failure in our nation for prophets to stand up, what happens when they do? Oh, they're attacked. The news media is all over them. Uh, they want to destroy them. People will picket their church. People will leave their church. People will stop giving money to their church. Oh, are we beginning to see why some of these prophets don't speak out? But who should be in control? If they were men of conviction who believed in the reality of God, that they were God's men, and he has the power and the resources to enable them to meet whatever challenge before them. They would be speaking out. You know, they would be saying cheating in elections is wrong. Allowing a court in your nation to say that same-sex marriage is legal, that that's wrong. Allowing parents to take six-year-olds and tell them they're not a little girl, they're a little boy, or the opposite. That's wrong. Perversion is spreading our nation. Now, some of you may not accept this, but let me just tell you. From what I've studied, just like when I was a young man in the early 60s, I would have told you there is no way a court in our land the highest court would ever say a man can marry a man. There's no way that will ever be done. In the same way now, you may say, there's no court in this land that will ever say it's just another form of sexual expression. There's nothing wrong with pedophilia. It is coming to our nation. And our prophets aren't going to speak out. And this perversion is just going to keep going and going and going unless something changes. And the change is men and women of conviction who are convinced that God is real, that they belong to him, and he has the power and the resources to enable them to meet whatever challenge comes before them. That's what we need. That is going to be the study of Elijah. You're going to see it over and over and over. And you're going to see a man who's very strong. And then you'll see that a man who's very strong can also fall. But he can then come back, just like David did. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the time that we could be here today. I thank you for the example of this man, Elijah, that you've given to us. Help us to see that he's living in a situation just like we are. And we need to model ourselves after Elijah. Now, Father, you also know of the prophets that you have given us who need to be speaking out. 
help the rest of us to understand the serious power of the weapon you've given us and start exercising prayer for those prophets, that they will speak out, that they will be protected, that you will give them a message, and that people will start pointing out the evil in our nation, and that there is only one solution, Yahweh, the one true God. May there come a time, just like Elijah was saying, Yahweh, the God of Israel, to come back and be able to say, Yahweh, the God of America. I pray that that will be the case, Father. And if not, just come take us, please. I pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Doug. This has been the beginning of a new series of lessons taken from 1 Kings chapter 1 in a series of lessons titled, Elijah, a Man of Conviction. Class teacher Doug Brady brings this short series to the class as we discover the depth and width of the teachings in the Bible. The Believer's Bible Class, a part of the historic First Baptist Church, is located in downtown Dallas, Texas, and we meet every Sunday morning in the LaVorne Hall. And we are happy to share these lessons with you. We'll look forward to next week's lesson in this new series. And thank you so much for joining with us.